Well, good morning, everyone. Um, our scripture reading this morning is in Genesis chapter 42. And if I could ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Um, Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he, he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said, they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men... Let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed, and as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? 
When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. You may be seated. Thank you, Adam. Good morning, Reliance. It's good to see you again. Um, And children, welcome. Um, Every fifth Sunday, it's our hope remind you that one day you will grow past fifth grade and you will participate in worship with us as you go and uh, on your way and growing in the Lord. And we want to help you along that way. Um, we are asking you to be here because we think you can do it and uh, um, are grateful that you're here. Before we go into jo- uh, Joseph, I have just three things that I would like to make in announcements. One, tonight, if you are a parent or just an individual that uh, would love to come alongside and help your child grow in understanding apologetics. Adam is, and uh, Mark are offering in this evening a class for the next several weeks to walk you through with some tools to help have good, healthy conversations with your, your children. And it, it w- I'm sure it would be helpful as well with your peers as well. Um, two, um, our annual meeting is next week. Um, next week, before the service, we're going to have the gathering room ready for all the crockpots that we'll have and enjoy after the service as we have our annual meeting together. Um, last week, I kind of pleaded with you to be present. Um, primarily, that we want to focus in on three things this next year. We want to take care of our property. We want to take care of our people. And we want to take care of our church plan. And we're going to talk in detail what that looks like. Um, and uh, we're super thrilled. Adam, Greg, over the last two weeks, thank you for filling the pulpit and uh, um, uh, giving me a break to work on our kitchen. Our kitchen over Thanksgiving flooded, so that was gracious of you guys. I was blessed by you guys and thankful for the time that you did that. One more. Um, Not this week, not next week, but the following week. Um, We're going to be, I'm going to be teaching a class um, on how to think through the gospel and communicate it clearly with others. Uh, parents, 
If you're trying to figure out how to walk your child towards baptism, I think this would be really helpful. Really, really helpful. Um, if you're an individual who recognizes that the world in front of them and the peers that you work with or go to school with, that they have no context for the biblical world that you understand, this would be a good class. Um, how to think through the walks alongside those who don't know who God is. Uh, no framework with Abraham or David. How do we communicate the gospel clearly? That'll start on, um, on, in, on February 12th, 8.30, 9.30, and it'll go for six weeks. I'd love to have you guys there. All right, would you join me in prayer as we consider Joseph? Lord, I thank you for your word, for it does, um, it does pierce at emotions. I couldn't imagine being Joseph after 22 years seeing his brothers again. Uh, I can understand why he treated them as strangers. No doubt he didn't trust them. But Lord, I know that in your wisdom, you provided these chapters before us to convict ourselves. This is not just an ancient story. This is a story given to your people to consider how to live rightly in the, from the world before them. And I pray that the model that is shaped before us here, Lord, I pray that um, we come to realize the weight of our sin and your grace towards us in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I just came up with it this morning. It titled the sermon, Guilty. It's really not really that blunt of a statement, really. The whole passage carries this theme of the voice of guilt. If you're familiar with it, and I imagine we all are, guilt will haunt you. In fact, the voice of guilt, it will follow you in every attempt that you make to quieten it, quiet it, only empowers it. Guilt, for some of us, most of us, is like a prison, prison which feeds on our stubbornness and is further empowered by it. The psalmists, David, Isaiah, they all talk about this issue in which guilt within them is trying to burst forth its testimony. Isaiah 59, 12 says, Our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins, they speak, they testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Sin speaks, and it produces within us an overwhelming sense of guilt. Psalm 32, 3 through 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I was just a kid. No one noticed. Not even my parents, not even my siblings. And I stole something. And I were to tell you what I stole, no one would actually think it was worth stealing. It was minimal what I stole. But I knew I was wrong, and I suppressed it. Year after year went by, and I thought to myself, give it time and give it distance from the, the moment of doing it wrong, then the guilt would actually decrease. But what I learned 
that as time went on, the weight of my sin became more increasingly significant. Even though no one knew. We know why, when we started the beginning of Genesis, why Adam and Eve hid guilt. In fact, we know why our children, even ourselves, hide after we sin. Shame, fear of being exposed, being found out. Who confesses a sin when no one saw it? In fact, in fact, yet all of us know that there's this deep sense of wanting to, to get out. Pilgrim's Progress, some of you might have read this. The way that the John Bunyan depicts the issue of guilt or sin is by this big burden that weighs upon Christian as he makes his journey to the celestial kingdom. He's familiar with it. You're familiar with it. Joseph's brothers are familiar with it. Could you imagine? 22 years have passed. When they told their father, Joseph is no more. And they knowingly knew where he was at, what he did to them, and what they did to cover up their sin. Imagine Reuben or Judah or Simeon waking up one morning, let's just say 12 months after the event. I know where Joseph's at. The guilt whelming in within them. Maybe today is the day I tell dad. And we go before your dad and you go, Jacob, and before Jacob and you're going to confess your sins, but all of a sudden you remember the shame, what you did to Joseph, that you suppress it, further feeding the guilt which is building within. And then after time, after one year, and then it moves to 10 years, and then it moves to 20 years, They've come to the conclusion that he's dead. So what's the point of even speaking about it? We call them mental triggers. Like there are mental triggers that happen in our own lives or memories or significant events in which when they happen or when they occur, they bring everything back to memory. For example, somebody could be having a great day and all of a sudden they smell something. It connects them to someone who wants hurt them. The rest of the day is awful. Call mental triggers. Well, while we can recognize that when others harm us, or even in good memories, guilt is like that every single day. Especially for Joseph's brothers who had to go before Jacob every day and act as nothing was done wrong. This chapter in Genesis 42, and we're going to go and look at Genesis 43, is beginning to stress the shift in the brother's confession. But along the way, you will see God's hand trigger the guilt out from within, where it finally comes boiling out. The danger is, as you read the story, you with me, and us, with the generations of Christians, the believers before us, is to read it only to think of Jacob's son's issues of sin and neglect our own. What you will find as the brothers come out to realize is that God is doing something. 
And the feeding of guilt year after year has ultimately not given them what they hope for. Peace. So with that in mind and the tension there, I just want to go back through the story and see what I would label as the mental triggers that pop back into their mind as they were reminded of their guilt. Children, just because your parents didn't see it, there is a guilt that we all deal with, that guilt that you deal with, parents deal with. And there's a God who wants you to confess it. These guys, learn from these guys and don't wait 22 years to become an individual that knows how to confess their sins. For it will not give you any hope just to suppress it. Trigger one, the ever-present guilt. Chapter 42, it's not there in the text or up on the slide for you, but just let me show you. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt because of the famine, the first trigger Hey, guys, what are you standing around? Go to Egypt. They know who's in Egypt. Remember the situation in which then they once bound up their brother Joseph in order to sell him for a bit of silver. They saw him as he pleaded with them be taken off to Egypt. The location which Jacob wants his sons to go to is the very place that they once sent Joseph and when the final moment showed up, look with me at Genesis 42, 8. Could you imagine Joseph? Joseph's, excuse me, and Joseph recognized his brothers when they stood before him. Verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly with them. Where do you come from? He said, they said. Oh, he said, and they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food, verse 8. And Joseph recognized his brothers, stated twice to stress the point, and they did not recognize him. Clearly, they think that Joseph is dead. On their mind, as they go back to Egypt, they're probably reliving some of the events at which Joseph was brought down to Egypt. But their idea of seeing standing before Joseph as the second most powerful individual in Egypt is outside of their capacity of thinking. And Joseph recognized him. Throughout this story with Joseph, what I find interesting is you read the drama as Joseph works with his brothers, he is emotional throughout the whole thing like when you come to that individual who has wronged you to suggest that there is nothing emotional going within it is a farce joseph is torn up yet in the story he's able to suppress it at times and so he does not trust them to be fair he has every right not to trust them they were the ones that sold him, oppressed him, and never for 22 years notified their father. So Joseph, with that history of distrust for his brothers, Genesis 42, 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. God had told this before. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. 
Verse 10 would cause Joseph almost to fall out of his seat. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servant has come to buy food. Verse 11, excuse me. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. I think of the individual, the child who usually takes some cookie and he puts it in their mouth and there's cookie crumbs all over their face and say, no, I didn't eat a cookie. They don't know who Joseph is. Naturally, they're coming to their defense. But this is not the guy that you want to claim your character before. Clearly, the, everything lands in Joseph's favor, but the one criticizing them is the one with the full understanding of who his brothers are. We're honest, men. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, no. It is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. You are searching out this place for your own advantage. Joseph doesn't trust them, and he knows them. Historically, it has not gone well between the two of them. There was actually a point in their relationship where they didn't even like talking to him. If there was any opportunity for them to seek out something for their own advantage, this would be the time. Naturally, in verse 13, the brothers come to their own defense. And look what they say. And they said, We are your servants. Our twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father. And one is no more. They don't think Joseph is alive. Twenty-two years has passed. He's written off. I wonder what Joseph will do here. As you read the story, you'll notice that Joseph wants to find out about Benjamin. Why? I mean, he sees the 10 brothers, but he doesn't see the 11th. You know that Jacob, his father, did pick his favorites, and anyone who was born of Rachel was Jacob's favorite. Joseph, the, the son of Rachel, Benjamin, the son of Rachel, Clearly, maybe these ten have done exactly what they did to Joseph, to Benjamin. The reason why Benjamin is not here is they have written off both Joseph and maybe Benjamin. I need to see Benjamin. Naturally, Joseph has every right not to trust why one of the sons is not, or brothers is not present. Which drives the things which he does. But naturally, he does not have the right, or he is right not to trust them. But Joseph said to them, verse 14, It is I, I said to you, you are spies. Let me test you. Twice this was stated by the author. By this you shall be tested, verse 15, by the life of Pharaoh, and you shall not go from his place unless your youngest brother comes. Send one of you and let him bring you, your brother back. Excuse me, bring your brother while you remain confined in that your words may be tested. Whether there is truth in you, indeed, are you genuinely trustworthy men? Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. It's like the third time. Clearly we know Joseph doesn't trust them. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Trigger tale. When they saw Joseph come from afar, what did they do? They imprisoned him in a pit, sending him off to Egypt. They are now in Egypt, in prison for three days. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, 
Do this, and you will live. For I fear God. So if you are an honest man, let where you are in custody, let the rest go and carry grain for the family of your household, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified. You shall not die. Trigger three. Once, those ten brothers had to go back and tell a father that a sibling or brother was no more. Joseph is going to recreate the whole scenario. Go back, one behind, and bring me Benjamin. Retriggering the events of the past once more. Look at the response. Verse 20. The guilt which was oppressed for so long starts come boiling out. Verse 21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty. That proclamation in which way one said we were honest has now transitioned to being guilty. We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. Do you think after the event which they thought closed the door before their father that the voice of their sin has stopped? It has haunted them, been fueled by their stubbornness for 22 years at the very hint of the scenario, the scenario being played out again, it comes bubbling out. Joseph is sitting here watching it. I don't know how he doesn't crack. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? You did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. He's right. All sins will be dealt with. And the guilt that wants to get free can be dealt with once, once spoken. But yet the more we know that we oppress the guilt within us, the more powerful it becomes. And they did not know, verse 23, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. Verse 24, I appreciate where he cracks. And he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them, and look what happens. He puts the whole thing in front of them again. turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them, bound him before their eyes. Replaying the scene, probably exactly what Joseph was, he pleaded, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't send me off to Egypt. Being bound in front of their eyes, trigger four. How many triggers is it going to take for them to finally confess to Joseph. Well, we don't know who Joseph is. He's still dead. To his father and before the Lord. Joseph's not done. 
And you might think that Joseph is orchestrating this, but this is not what the brothers assume. This is God's hand in the midst to bring them to confession. In verse 25, as Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Bounding up of Simeon, money put back in the bags. Mind you, when, when Joseph was sold into Egypt, do you remember what they sold him for? Silver. Strange here, I'd, I'd like to sit down with the translators because the money is translated money, but it can also be translated silver. Triggered by, I don't know if I'm losing track. Time and time and time again, they're reminded of their journey back home now, one short and the silver in their hands. Could you imagine having to go through covering up one sin once, but now to do it twice? Except this time it's true. All the time ignoring the first. 26, look at their response. And then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And at this, their hearts failed them. Another way to think of that is their hearts stopped. Like, you ever been, you've done something wrong before, I'm sure, but stand before the individual who you've sinned and been caught red-handed. And you're stuck either to give this defense or ultimate confession. And they're stuck. Fully exposed. Fully realizing that God has seen them. And look at their response. And they return, turn trembling to one another saying, What is this that God has done to us? An unfortunate last trigger they plead before their father and give the report that one is left behind again. And so they came to their father, father and they told the situation why Simeon is stuck. And knowing that they're going to need more grain, said, hey, give us Benjamin so we can free Simeon. Jacob's response is what? Yeah, no, not going to happen. You've come back before with a report that Joseph is gone. Now you come back again after a journey that Simeon is gone. I can follow the logic. And so that he says in verse 30. Oh, excuse me. Let me jump down to verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to him, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Reuben is interesting. Both Reuben and Judah in this whole scenario. Reuben attempting to cover up his guilt. To reconcile something. 
says, kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Joseph or Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead. He is the only one left. Rachel, if harm should happen to him, Jacob still participating in parental favoritism. On the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sha'ol. You can try to find alternate ways to cover your guilt. But the pressure which it, like God designed guilt to do is find its way out. And anything other than confession only fuels it. That's my experience. I stole a piece of candy. It's silly. No one saw, but why is it that a six-year-old is plagued by three years? <laughs> I need to confess it. And as the guilt increased, oh man, I can't remember. I just enjoyed the day in which I said, Mom, I stole something from you. And my mom was like, what? It's so silly. I felt way better. But the way that you get rid of the guilt that's within is through confession, but not through alternate cover-ups. And in the midst of this, they have had, what, six triggers as I count to remind themselves of what they have done wrong? This passage, I think it is fitting for the table. For God does see our sin. But the way that you watch the story of Joseph take place, the way that knowing that God sees our sins and the way that God has responded to our sins is indeed gracious. Even in spite of our stubbornness. For I'm sure that many of us have covered up more significant sins than stealing up candy. Many men are plagued by what they hide within their minds. I am told as I look at the stats, the pornography is abundant. But the more that you suppress it, or false lies or testimony, the more that you oppress it, the more the guilt comes within. And it will find its way out. If history has ever proved anything, sin will find its way out. And yet the best way is through confession. You start to see the shift. Feel so inadequate at this point in Joshua's story. Because I'd love to reach and teach the whole rest of the book of Genesis. I can't. Because we can only be here for another few more minutes. But in chapter 43, for 14 verses, Jacob's brothers or sons argue with Jacob to let Benjamin go. If you don't let us go back with Benjamin and we go alone, we're dead men. Judah steps up. Let Benjamin's life be on my head. If Benjamin doesn't come back, let me be done with. And they make the journey back to Egypt. And when Joseph saw Benjamin, I imagine there was a, a moment of wanting to trust his brothers again. Think about this. 22 years. 
Joseph is giving his brothers a chance. I've talked to some of you. And the way that you depict how you lived 22 years ago is vastly different than the way that you live today. In fact, some of you, I don't even, can't even, I don't even have a category for how you depict how you lived in college, the way that you've been radically transformed. 22 years is a long time, and Joseph is willing to give them a chance. Maybe they have been changed. And in fact, their testimony was true, and Benjamin is indeed back. And the brothers, when they brought ushered into Joseph's house, they even say, hey, the money that we paid for the grain, we found it in our bags. Don't know how it got there. We didn't steal it. And the servant of Pharaoh, or Joseph said, ah, God's been good to you. We didn't see it. Don't care. And Joseph brings his brothers into his home. And after the end of the day, he goes before them. Look with me at Genesis 43, 26. When Joseph came home, they brought him into the house to him, the present that they had been, had with him and bowed down to him to the ground and inquired about their welfare and said, oh man, I imagine this was on his mind. How's my dad? Okay, he can't talk like that. Trust being restored. Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke. Is he still alive? Waiting. He said, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. They bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. He lifted up their eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Look at the emotions. Overwhelmed Joseph in verse 30. And Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. He entered his chambers, and he wept. How he got away with this, without his brothers noticing, he worked up having to relive all of it and forgive and move on because the brothers are different. Confessing of stolen, bringing Benjamin back. There's one last trigger. Food's brought out. Joseph places all the brothers in order according to their age and Benjamin at the last. All the brothers are like, how does this guy go? And to Benjamin, do you know what he did? Look at verse 34. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much. It's a famine. They're hungry. Benjamin gets how many times more? See, you got five. Five times. When Joseph was honored in the midst of his family, how did the brothers respond? Jealousy and anger. Don't think lightly of what the author is doing here. There is a shift in these brothers 
verse 34. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. The jealousy that once was given to Joseph because of his favor seems to be that the favor towards Benjamin is not an issue. The story will continue. And I don't have the time to go through the rest of it today. We'll go on it next week. But I do think that there is something that Genesis 42 and 43 is trying to hit at. And if it's anything, I think it's this reminder that the brothers have to deal with this issue of sin. We are guilty. But what do you do with your guilt? Eventually, if you think your brother's dead, how do you expose, hey, Joseph, I'm sorry, your sin to Joseph, who you think is dead, or maybe to Jacob, you, expo- you waited 22 years. And the reality is, is even if they, Joseph was alive and they're able to find him, he might and he will forgive them and Jacob might forgive them. But the one person they ultimately need to find reconciliation with is God himself. The question is, is the God who is trying to remind them of their guilt willing to forgive for such things? See, Joseph's story is not the only story that deals with triggers. Mental reminders of one's sin. And I'd like to prepare us for the table. Create a heart of hopefully confession. Because there's an individual that was reminded of a sin that he once committed. And he was before Christ himself. And had to reconcile this issue with the one who can ultimately can forgive sins. Because Jesus is God incarnate. Do you remember Peter? On the night before Christ's crucifixion, he couldn't follow his master to the cross as he said he would, as he promised. In fact, all it takes is a servant girl to ask him a question. Are you the follower of Christ? Look at John chapter 18, verse 17. The servant girl runs up to Peter and said, you also are not one of these men's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. Question is, we read this, I want you to see the triggers. Okay. Now the servant and the officers had made a charcoal fire. It was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also with him, them standing and warming himself. You continue to read verses 25 and 27. Peter is going to go on to deny Christ two more times, hearing the rooster running and abandoning Christ with all of the other disciples. Three years Peter has committed his life to Christ. He saw him walk on water. He saw him feed the 5,000. He's seen the hope for Israel in this one. And I will follow you to the cross. I will die with you. Ultimately to fall short of that standard, denying him around a charcoal fire. So what do you do when you have fallen short of such a standard? You go home. Party's over. Peter, he goes back to Sea of Galilee. John chapter 21, 3, he does what only he knows what to do. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. 
understand. Trigger warning. Remember how Peter met Jesus? In the boat, all night, can't catch a thing. This man comes walking along the beach. Hey, throw your nets to the other side. Who do you think you are? I've been fishing all night. I know what I'm doing for the sake of entertaining you. Threw the nets over. What's he catch? The nets are breaking up. He can't get them in the boat. There's so many. Let's go fishing. They said to him, well, we'll we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Trigger two. John chapter 21, verse 4. Or verse, I'll start verse 3 again. I'm going fishing, they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus, this man, stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Heard this before? He recognized them, and they didn't recognize him. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Trigger three. question is, as we read this story, what makes this story so fun is the way that Christ receives this one who has this guilt for denying him three times. You know this story. Let's just walk through it, though. So they cast it out. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Trigger four. Imagine what Peter was like. First, excitement. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said, oh, excuse me, excuse me, where did I leave off? John chapter 21, verse 17. My pages are stuck together. Let me pick up verse 8. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but a hundred of yards off. Look what Peter sees when he gets to the shore. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire. Do you think God doesn't see your sin and is willing to recreate some of the aspects of where you have wronged him so as to move you to confession. And God knows you intimately. He's known how you have sinned against others and is willing to use those memories to bring you to the point of confession. He does this with Joseph's brothers and he does this with Peter himself. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hurled the net ashore full of the large fish, 153 of them. They caught them. They counted them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. As all the disciples are making their way around Jesus, you know what Peter's thinking about. He's seen the charcoal fire. He's remembered the memories in which Jesus once called them. Hey, 
You're not going to catch fish anymore. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Peter's fallen short of that calling. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Denying him three times, three questions. He said to him a second time, Simeon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, tend my sheep. He said to them a third time, Simeon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said it a third time, do you love me? He knows what's going on. The grace that which our Lord Jesus Christ gives towards those who sin against him is phenomenal. Joseph's brothers need to confess to Joseph when they get the opportunity they will. What brings us before the table today is that we know that God takes care of our guilt. He will receive the expression of the repentance of our guilt, which is calling us to that obedience. We don't come before the table with pride or arrogance, compressing our sin. That's not what the table is meant to do, but rather to heighten the reminder that we are sinners and obligated to confess with our mouths our sins before God and one another. And that's how I would encourage you to take it. I am sure there's not one person in this room that is feeling the guilt for covering up their sibling's death. But I know there's not one person in this room who's probably covering up some type of sin they need to confess. I would encourage you to come before the table humbly. Confessing your sin before the Lord, knowing that this is what God did for Peter and the brothers of Joseph and for Joseph himself. And it shouldn't take seven triggers, eight, 22 years to bring us to that confession. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, whether we are three or 93, we can come before you in the confidence of Christ Jesus that we stand in peace because of the grace demonstrating Christ Jesus who died for our sins. And we can come before the table knowing that you have dealt with our guilt. But you still call us to repentance. Forgive us for our sin. And Lord, as we take the table, if there might be anything that we might need to confess, Lord, I pray that you would bring us to declare like the brothers, we're guilty and deal with it. Just as Jesus taught in Matthew to run and reconcile with our brothers and our sisters. This is at the very heart of what you want us to do. Let us not be the people which feed our guilt with our stubbornness, Lord. And Lord, as we continue to watch the unfolding of Joseph, Lord, let may we learn ourselves what it means to forgive others when been wronged. But before we get to that, Lord, I pray that we would deal with ourselves in the sense of our own guilt. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll have the ushers come forward.